Welcome to the Pathlight Ministries podcast. We're glad you've chosen to study God's Word with us. I'm Pastor Chip Anthony, and here's today's message. People so often misunderstand the First Amendment, right? The First Amendment guarantees us that the government will make no laws concerning the establishment of religion or the press or, or assembly or petition or speech so that it, it protects us from the government so that we can say what we want about the government. Um, but oftentimes what, what ends up happening is people misunderstand the First Amendment and they know that we have a freedom of speech and so they, they sort of wrongly think that they can just say whatever they want about anybody. And like there's supposed to be no repercussions. Like you may see on on Facebook pages, like somebody will say something really nasty about somebody else and be like, you shouldn't, you can't say that about me. And they'll be like, well, I've got my freedom of speech. A friend of mine, he uh, had to let an employee of his go a few, a few years ago. And this, this young lady was just bad mouthing everyone at their place of work. I mean, she was just burning everybody up. I mean, and nobody, it got so bad that nobody wanted to work with her because they knew that all she was going to do all day long was was talk bad about everyone else who worked there. And so he went and he sat her down and he's, um, I've, I've been with him when he's had to let people go before and he's really gracious about it. He has this little spiel he does. He says, you know, three months from now, if you learn from what's happening today, three months from now, you will be so much happier with your life than you have been for the last three months. And he's like, you know, and almost always people are happier um, because they find a new job and if they learn from it. But he said, if you learn from this, you'll be so much happier. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, why are you firing me? And, and he said, well, you've been really talking bad about your coworkers. You've talked bad about me. Uh, and nobody wants to work with you. You've created this horrible work environment. And she says, but I've got my First Amendment rights. You can't fire me for talking bad about people. And he, he said, you know, the First Amendment, it protects you from the government. It doesn't protect you from me. And so that's, that's sort of what happens sometimes. You know, the First Amendment or the amendments, our rights... You know, they, they protect us from the government. They don't protect us, you know, from each other. You have the right to bear arms. That doesn't mean that you get to just walk into your neighbor's house with a shotgun, right? We don't, that's not how our rights work. But and it, it's important to understand our rights. We have to understand the context in which those, those rights come to us. It's in the context of us and the government, not us and one another. And so... Uh, it's important that we understand context. One of the ways that scripture is so often twisted is that it's taken out of its original context. And so sometimes we'll call this proof texting, um, but I think it's best understood as, as removing a scripture from its context. One of the scriptures that I find removed from its context almost always, in fact, I don't know that I've ever heard, um, besides in a Sunday school class, this scripture taught in its proper context. And that is Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Right? And, you know, at that point, after reading that verse, I, I just want to close the book. Right? I do. I want to close the book and say, All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, God, for telling me that you've got plans for my good, for my benefit, for hope, not for evil. That you, I'm, I'm thankful that God has my back. Because if you just read that verse, that's certainly what it seems like Jeremiah 29, 11 is saying. Uh, the problem comes in that there's Jeremiah chapter 29 and more verses. And so what, what I do in my, in my personal study to prepare messages each week and what is a good idea for 
all of us as believers to do to really get a, a firm grasp on what any individual verse is saying is to not just look at the one verse, but to put it inside of, of the context of where it's found. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, 11 in the context of Jeremiah chapter 29. And the process I use is that I work out from the verse in question. So we start with Jeremiah 29, 11. So I'm going to look at the, we're going to look at the verses directly around Jeremiah 29, 11. So we're going to start in Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So right there we see that the plans, this welfare, this hope that is spoken of in Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't just a general hope. It isn't sort of, sort of general welfare or goodness. It isn't just like the good things that necessarily we want for ourselves. Right? Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't, I have plans to give you that new F-150. Right? It's not, I have plans for, you know, for you to get a better job. I have plans for you to, for your health situation to improve. It's a very specific promise that was given to people about captivity in Babylon. Also, something important to notice is that the people who receive, it says when 70 years are completed for Babylon, right? This is a promise that isn't going to be fulfilled for 70 years. That is a, and anybody who's 70 years old in here, don't take offense at this, but that's a long time, right? You don't want Jeremiah to borrow your lawnmower, right? Yeah, I'll get it back to you in about 70 years, Right? would not trust him with something like that. 70 years is a long time. So God's making a promise that I've got a plan for you, but you probably won't live long enough to see it. Now, he does that, it doesn't say that explicitly, but he does say 70 years. So he says, I have a plan for you. It's going to be 70 years. And then the plan is specific. I'm going to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem. He's telling the people who have been exiled to Babylon, you're going to come back to Jerusalem. Right? That's, that's it, that you're going to come back to this land of promise. And then he goes on in verses 12 and 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so we see that not only is he making a promise, but in these, these verses that come after Jeremiah 29, 11, we see that this promise, it, it's connected to something. That the promise is that you're going to come back to the land, you're going to come back to the land, you'll have this inheritance, but also you will do something. It isn't just you're going to get a promise and that you don't have to do anything in return, right? It's that you'll call upon me. You'll come and you'll pray to me you'll, and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. I'll restore your fortunes. It's, it's, there's more to it than just the promise. There's also, we have a role to play in the fulfillment of this promise. It's you're going to come back and, and or the, the exiles had a role to play in the fulfillment of this promise. You're going to come back to the land, but then you're going to have to still have to seek after me. You're going to have to fi- try to find me. You're going to have to pray to me. And then we can take this out a little bit further. We can start at the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah, at the beginning of this, we'll see who the promise is for. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles 
and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So we see that this promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, it isn't, doesn't really have much, it seems like, doesn't have a whole lot to do with, with us today. Because he's writing this letter to the exiles. So these people who were taken from their home in Jerusalem, they're taken into Babylon, and, and they have been suffering under Babylonian captivity for, for some time. And so he's saying this is who this is directly for, for people who are living in exile. Verses 2 and 3, he kind of talks about the specifics. If I, I'm not going to read those because there's a bunch of names that I have a really hard time pronouncing, you know, those 17-letter names. Yeah, they, some of those. And he says, you know, it's this, this time when this person was king and this person was doing this and this person. And he's, he's saying this because the exile sort of happened in three phases. And so he's being specific about what time this message is being sent. It'd be sort of like if we were to say, you know, back when, uh, back when we were war in the Middle East. Right? We couldn't say that. We couldn't just say when we were in the war in the Middle East because that could be any time from like 1990 through today, right? We'd have to be more specific. Do we mean Operation uh, Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Afghanistani... Enduring Freedom. Enduring Freedom. I didn't know what it was. I, didn't, I had no idea. Um, endure, did anybody know what the Afghanistan war was called? Okay, good. Not, not just me. Enduring Freedom. Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. We, he, he gives a little bit more context. He says this is specifically the, sort of the time period that I'm talking about this, this thing happening. And then in verse, in verse 4, he goes on and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then he gives them some instructions. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Um, he says you're going to be there for a while. He gives them instructions to build houses, to, to plant, to marry, to give their children in marriage. Um, how long? I want a question. I'll find out if, if I'm weird or if, if somebody else is weird. Um, how long do you have to stay in a hotel room before you use the drawers? Like every hotel room I've ever been in, like there's drawers, there's hangers, and a closet. How long, if you, if you would stay, I'm not going to use you. Uh, if, if, if it takes, if you have to be there, say, longer than three days, it has to be longer than three days to use the drawers. Raise your hand. All right. If it has to be longer than five days. All right. How many of you are, as soon as you get there, first day, you move... A couple of you are. A couple of, uh, yeah. As soon as you get there, there, and there are some people that they, as soon as they get into the hotel room, they unpack everything. For most people, you don't do that. You just kind of live out of the suitcase unless you're going to be there for a while. Jeremiah, he's, tell, calling, he's talking to these people, and he's saying, listen, unpack your suitcases. Unpack your luggage. Make yourself at home here because you're going to be here for a long time. Don't, don't sit there in exile and think, oh, God's going to come any minute. God's going to rescue us any minute, because he's not. It's not going to be any minute. This isn't a, a one-month, a two-month, a one-year, two-year proposition. He's saying, you're going to be in exile for multiple generations. Your children, don't say, I want, I want my daughter to be married in that little place outside the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's where I want my daughter to know. Don't wait, because it's never going to happen. That destination wedding will not happen. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. So go ahead and let your daughter get married in Babylon. 
Let your son get married in Babylon. Let your grandson get married there. Let, go ahead and plant crops in Babylon because you're going to be there long enough to see the harvest there. So don't waste time thinking, hoping, waiting, wishing that something good is going to happen for you in the next year, two years, three. It's going to be a long, long wait. He goes on and he says, but also seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now this must have been an incredibly difficult thing for them to follow. They've been taken into exile by their enemies. They are now living amongst their enemies and Jeremiah is telling them to pray for their enemies. Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. He says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. This isn't, that's not new. Jeremiah is saying the same thing. He's saying, pray for these people who have harmed you. Pray for these people who have literally dragged you off in chains. Pray for their welfare. Pray for their well-being. Because you are not just living there, you're connected to them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now we don't know exactly what these prophets, these false prophets, these false diviners were telling the people, but we have a pretty good idea. What they were doing was they were telling people a message of quick and easy hope. They're giving them quick and easy hope to say, oh, don't worry, don't worry, we're only going to be here for a little while. Trust me. And Jeremiah says, don't trust them. They've got it all wrong. They're not speaking on my behalf. Those people who say that, oh, these sorrows are only going to last for just a little while, oh, don't listen to them. I'm telling you, it's going to last a long time. You're going to live the rest of your life in Babylon. Your children, who you read this letter to them later on, your children are probably going to live their entire lives in Babylon. But maybe your grandchildren will live long enough to see Jerusalem with their own eyes. You're going to be there for a long time. So don't believe people who tell you that it's going to be short. Don't believe people who say you're only going to be there for a short time, for a year or two. It's not going to happen like that. And then, then we get into verse 10. And 11 and 12, 13, 14, which we've covered. Now let's look at the verses that come after the central part of the promise. Verse 15 says, Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David. So here's what, here's what he says. He has told the people who are in exile what is going to happen to them. They're going to be there for 70 years, but good things are going to happen to them. Now, if you and I were exiled away from home, we might be tempted to think about the people who aren't. To think, well, you know, yeah, I've been pulled, I've been drawn into captivity, I'm a thousand miles from home, but I bet everybody back home is having a great time. Right? I bet everybody back home is just living it up. They're all probably all barbecuing around a pool. Right? They're sitting back having a great time while I'm over here in exile. Well, Jeremiah's message makes it clear that those who are in exile, even though they feel like their situation is absolutely the worst possible situation, he makes it clear that the people who are back home are going to have it worse. He says, as for the one who's sitting on the, th the king who sits on the throne of David, and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen, who did not go out with you into exile, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence. And I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. He says, you guys think you've got it bad here. But understand, I am doing you a great kindness by having you live in exile. You're going to live in Babylon for 70 years and your people, your children are going to prosper. Your family is going to grow. You're going to be okay even though you're living in exile. Those people who aren't living in exile, the worst is coming for them. Don't think that they're just sitting around the, you know, all those pools outside of the, in the olive gardens. Don't think that they're just having a great time back home while you're here suffering. Horrible things are coming for them. And he tells why. He says, I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. He says, those people who are back home are going to have it worse than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to make them like the gold standard of horror. I'm going to make their lives, their lives will be so miserable. Let me hear the word of the Lord. Let me go a little further. All you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. He says these, so we've talked about the people who are back home, how miserable and horrible things are going to be for them. But now let's talk about these prophets that we talked about earlier. These prophets who have been telling you the wrong thing, who've been giving you this false hope. Let me tell you about them. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. And it gets worse for them. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Right? That's bad. Like, not only is their, their method of execution horrible, but he says these guys are going to be lifted up. They're going to be remembered for all time as being cursed. It won't just be like, oh, you're cursed. It'll be, you're cursed like Ahab. Like, that, like their names literally are going to become like swear words. You're cursed like Zedekiah. Zedekiah sounds like he could be a swear word, right? You're cursed like Zedekiah. You're cursed like Ahab, right? It's going to be a very specific curse. Like things for these people are going to be so bad. The only thing that's going to be remembered about them was how horrible their fate was. Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. They have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. It's when they get, when it gets to this last part, and I think it really, really makes its impact. What they've done is they've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I think... You know, when we started talking about this passage as, a, as an example of one that's taken out of context, I didn't really remember this part of the chapter. I didn't remember about Zedekiah and Ahab because when it comes to, you know, you hear this beautiful promise, and that's sort of the thing that my mind is, is drawn to. I just kind of gravitate towards the good news, and 
kind of just filter out Ahab and Zedekiah. I kind of forget about their false promises and, and their judgment and their cursing. And it just kind of falls to the wayside. But I think it's really interesting that right here in the middle of a, of a chapter, and it goes on a little bit more and, and talks about the false prophecy, um, but in the middle of this chapter talking about the hope of the exiles, there's a warning about giving a false prophecy. There's a warning not to take God's words and make them say something that they don't. There's a warning to not, to not misrepresent what God has said. And if we take scripture and we twist it to mean something that it hasn't, what is the difference between us and Ahab? What is the difference between us and Zedekiah? That we have some context for our lives? That we have, have taken something that, in fact, I would say that if we take Scripture and we take it out of its context and we make God's Word say something that He didn't want it to say, I would say that we're just as bad as Ahab, as Zedekiah, maybe even, maybe even worse because we've taken something that is the Word, that is, is part of the description of the eternal Jesus Christ, and we have fouled it. So it's important for us. As I, I look, I see sort of three things that are important for us out of this chapter. And that is that misrepresenting Scripture makes us guilty just like these two men are. If we take Scripture and we try to make it be something that it's not. Now, I've seen Jeremiah 29, 11 put a lot of places. My wife used to have a little plaque that had Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. And she's, she said, well, that's, that's a promise. And it is a promise. But it's important that if we have the promise that we understand it fully. And the second thing about this, this passage is that understanding it fully should still give us hope. Because just as God had a plan for the Israelites who were in exile, God certainly has a plan for us. God certainly has a plan for us. That part is absolutely true, not just for him. You know, God knows from the moment of our death from the moment of our birth. He knows all of our days. He knows all of those things. He knows us better than anyone else, including ourselves, will ever know us. We don't know what tomorrow will bring for us, and he does. He knows us. He has a plan for us. And next week we're going to talk about the idea, the, the promise of, of good things and, and where we can see that. But uh, there's still hope. But we see that there is also for us a connection to obedience. There's a, a connection to seeking after him. That our prophet, that, our, that the good things that are coming for us are, are connected to the effort that we put forward in following him. Because the promise wasn't for everyone who was there the promise was was for the people who were in exile it wasn't for the people who were doing wickedness and evil right that you know one of the things that i have a real problem with with jeremiah 29 11 is I've, I've heard a lot of people who don't study scripture who aren't believers who don't believe anything necessarily about the bible they'll say well i don't have to i don't have to believe the bible i don't have to study i don't have to know it you know i know that god wants good things for me <laughs> there's a friend of mine and I, we did a project in, in seminary several years ago um, where we, were, we, we made T-shirts with, um, with the truth of Scripture on them. Um, and it, my professor really, really liked it. I felt a little weird about it. But anyway, we put true statements about Scripture on, on T-shirts because what we usually see on, on T-shirts or yard signs, in fact, a few years ago there was God loves you. There were these yard signs all over the place. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Right? But when you read through the Bible, you know, we, found out, we find out that there are some people who are meant for destruction. Right? That there are some people who are going to be born and, and they lead to wrath. You know, let's just use Hitler as an example. 
right? He's kind of the sort of the all-time bad guy, right? It's like God loved Hitler. Well, yeah, Jesus died and Hitler could have, but, you know, that sort of thing. But he was evil. So did God want him to prosper? Did God have a good plan for him? No, Hitler chose a path of evil. Hitler made his decision to do evil things. And so it's important that we not give a false hope to the world. That we not tell people, you can live any way you want. You can do wickedness. You can do the most vile, heinous things in the world. Don't worry about it. Because it'll, it'll all be okay. Because God's going to love you. And God's just going to forgive everything. Without putting it into the context of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have to have that context to be able to deliver on that promise. And the third thing is that this pro- promise is for a people. This promise isn't just for an individual person. This promise is for people who are living in exile. People who are living amongst a people that despise them, the people that hate them, living among people who have worked uh, Really, if you read the description of the, the toppling of Jerusalem, they work tirelessly night and day to destroy God's people. And as we look around, doesn't that sound a lot like where we live? Doesn't that sound a lot like the, the culture in which we now find ourselves? Has there ever been a time in America where being a Christian, where believing the Bible was more looked down on? Right? I mean, this is a time where we are belittled constantly for having faith. Right? We're constantly looked down upon, constantly despised by this world for having faith in God. We're absolutely certainly exiles. And the the promise that it was for them that as you live in exile, you're going to be you know, living among these people that hate you. It, it's there for us. And that even though we're living in a culture that seems to constantly despise and mock us, we still need to build houses. We still need to plant crops. We need to marry off our children. We still continue to go on and to live our lives so that our descendants grow. We still want to live our lives in such a way that we glorify and honor God in spite of the conditions all around us. Right? It is not God's plan for us to just cloister ourselves off and to just pray that God comes quickly, to just pray that God comes soon. On the contrary, what we need to be doing is engaging the lost and dying world. Say, you may despise us, you may despise our beliefs, you may mock our faith, but in spite of that, we're going to love you. We're going to care for you even if you hate us. That's what it means for us to live in exile. And we have a promise that that should be for hope, but it's not one that necessarily is going to come next year. It may not come the year after that. You may not live long enough to see Jesus come back. Your children may not. Your grandchildren may not. It may be 70 years. It may be 700 years. It might be five minutes after our service lets out. I'm calling it just in case that happens. Right? We have no idea when that's going to happen. But what's important for us is that we understand that we're living in exile. As much as they're living in exile, we're living in exile. And and we have to seek after him. We have to pray. We have to pray for for people who are persecuting us. We have to pray for people who despise us. We have to be everything that he has asked us to be, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of these people around us, for the sake of the lost and dying world. So my prayer for us today is that 
we would read Scripture because the promise of Scripture is better in context than it is out of context. When we understand the depth of the message that God has sent us, it makes it better. It makes it better than just saying, oh yeah, God wants good things for us. It's better to know that, that God wants good things for us even though, even though, man, it seems like Christians all around the world are living in constant state of fear. Even though Christians around the world are being persecuted daily, that God wants good things for them. God wants good things for them even though they're living in exile. And that ultimately he has a plan for their hope. Not a plan for hope necessarily for everyone in the world. Not for those who do evil. Not for those who misrepresent his world. But for those who are in exile. For those who are, have been called by him. He has a plan. He has a hope for them. And it's important that we are able to claim that hope. Not as a false hope. But as a true hope within the context of how God's word presents that to us. Thank you for listening to Pathlight. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others.